This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Hey, More Than Workers, it's Don Harkey from People-Centric Consulting Group here. We are really excited to come to you today because we are going to share some insights that we have as consultants within organizations, because last time we talked a lot about role clarity and how it's really important that everybody knows what their job is. When you show up every day to work, you spend a lot of time there, it's important for you to know what you do and how it contributes to the whole. So we talk about how important role clarity and job clarity is for organizational culture. However, there are certain jobs that are just naturally confusing. And there are certain jobs that we see over and over and over and over again that exist within lots of different organizations where there is a natural confusion around the role and what those roles do. So today we thought it would be fun to go around our team here. We're joined by Diana Royalty and Bethany Taff, as well as Matt Griswold, who's going to be facilitating today. And we're going to share some of those most confusing roles. We're going to talk about the six most confusing roles that we see inside organizations. So if you have these roles in your organization, and you probably do, you probably have one or more of these roles in your organization, we're gonna to point to you and uh, like you're the consultant and you can zoom in on those roles and recognize that they may be causing some problems for you because they lack clarity. So leading us through this is our own Matt Griswold. Matt, take us away. Thank you, Don, and hello team. How are you? Great. Okay. <laughs> Don's the only one not muted right now. Everybody gave me the head nod and smile, but sorry. If, you, if you've listened to this for a while, you might notice I don't have a standard way that I open it. So I catch people maybe off guard sometimes. I don't know. But anyway, I'm happy to uh, be joined by my team here, the strong team that we have to be able to bring this topic. We get to talk about different things internally. And this one, this is one of those topics that, you know, we just did job description, like Donna talked about, role clarity. This was, this was kind of an interesting one because first, it's so relatable. It doesn't matter what your role is within the company. You're probably familiar with these types of roles, or maybe, maybe you work for a company, but you also serve on another company or volunteer with another organization. Like these things, uh, hopefully, are going to be very, very relatable to you as well. And we've settled on six, to be honest with you, total transparency. We started with the idea of five, and then we grew to six. And I bet we could grow it to 10 or 12 or something. And, and you all listening might be going, yeah, but what about this? Let us know. We'd be happy to interject our thoughts maybe on some of those. But but these are maybe, I will just say like the top six that we see typically. I would also say it doesn't even matter what type of organization that you're in. If we, we don't see this just in one lane or one department or one industry. We see these things normally. All right. So to start us on this conversation, Don, I'm going to throw it to you. What did you say? What was your, one of the, one of the roles that you thought maybe was most confusing that we should talk about? What makes your list? So one of the ones that I wanted to add to the list is the idea of boards. So boards of directors. So most, many, many organizations have a board. If you're in a nonprofit, you have a board. If you are, you know, a hospital, you have a board. If you are, you have lots of, lots of organizations. If you work for a city, there's a board, right? There's a board of aldermen or a council. The board is a group of usually volunteers. Sometimes they are paid positions, but they're people who have governance over the organization. And the problem that we see a lot of times with boards is that they are very poorly defined in terms of what the boards do. You get on the board, you show up to the board meetings and they go over the financials and you sit there and nod and maybe you ask a couple of questions and then issues are brought to you for to be approved or disapproved. 
and you're not really sure, like, am I supposed to be asking a lot of questions? Are these foregone conclusions? Am I supposed to be diving into this more? I'm not sure exactly what you're asking for of me. And we see a lot of boards that will overstep or understep. They're not sure they won't make decisions that maybe they should make, or they make decisions that they shouldn't make. They overstep. I think it's just that boards are very confusing entities and organizations that we work with that work with boards or have boards inside of them really get a lot of extra attention from us. You know, and, and I think to add to that too, you know, we're, we're not, we want to do our best to not assign a tent to any of these roles, right? If you're a board member and you're sitting there going, man, I'm just trying to do my best to make the best decisions, but I don't always feel like I have all the information that I need. Or, you know what, I don't feel like my, the CEO that I support is as transparent with some of the things that they're thinking. I don't, I don't know what their vision is. So it's hard to support them. You know, most of the time, you know, from the, from the things that we hear from boards, like they want to support the organization as well as they possibly can, but they don't feel like they have enough information to do it or they don't understand their role. I mean, Don and I were with a city administration and a, and a board of aldermen one time and the board of aldermen were like, how do you best want us to support the direction? Like who does what? Like looking at our team that we have, who does what? Like they didn't, they didn't have that clarity that clarity either. And you can imagine how difficult that is as a board to operate if those roles aren't really clearly defined. I mean, we might have generic, this is what a board does, but then we have, need to have the next conversation of, okay, look at the players on the field here for the board. What is our role? What is my role versus the president of the board or, or a mayor or, you know, things like that too. Don? I'm glad you said that because I think that some people who are listening may be going like as board members saying, Hey, you know, I'm a board member. What are you, why are you attacking me all of a sudden? And, you know, that's not our intention is to attack these individual as people, but more to say, the roles may be not clear. You know, you don't have much expectation. We see so many board members who come into a board position and they're not onboarded, no pun intended, maybe a little intended. They're not onboarded properly in terms of what their role is. Like what's really expected of you? What's trained from you? A lot of times, so many times you see boards, board members, the first thing you do is you start looking at financials and let's talk about that. Like a lot of people don't know how to read financials. Yeah. And you don't have any context for them. If I jumped in the middle of somebody's financials without having any context for it, and then was asked to judge it and approve the financials, by the way, which I usually do in my very first meeting, boy, that's a tough position for me to be in. I don't know whether I should be asking more questions. Should I be digging into something? I think it, it creates a potentially ugly situation. So we're not down, we're not bad mouthing board members, but we're yeah. saying board positions are ripe for misunderstanding of what they do. You know, another reason that this is maybe confusing and Diana and Bethany feel to, feel free to chime in here as well. But I think another thing that makes this hard is typically those board spots are not paid spots. They're volunteering their time to be able to go to the meeting. And sometimes those organizations try to protect their time. They think they're doing them a favor, but, but that also, you know, by trying to quote unquote, protect their time or protect, you know, not bringing X, Y, or Z up, we're also limiting the amount of information that, that, that they're able to obtain. And then we're asking them to vote on things that they, that they might have very little information on whenever they really do want to be more involved, more involved in the process. And so from the organizational standpoint, I want to protect their time. I'm frustrated because they're not voting on the things, uh, you know, approving the things that maybe I need approved. But, but also we've seen it where they don't have enough information to be able to do that. Don, I've literally been at those board meetings when they were approved, you know, that person was sworn into the board, they were approved, and then they go sit down and they start voting on things immediately. Like, <laughs> do you have any idea what you're voting on right now? And just, you know, maybe you've all, maybe you all have had some conversations or been on other boards where that's the reality and talking to those board members, Diane, I'll go to you talking to those board members. Like they, 
they don't they they want to be more equipped they want more information like please don't try to protect my time all the time i appreciate it but i want to be involved too right diana yeah i was on a board one time where the same thing happened i was i was appointed they they voted me in and then they were like hey here's the financial report and the financial report was given by the CFO. It sounded fine, but me being me and looking at financials all the time as part of what we do, I was like, hey, could I sit down with the financial person and just have a meeting and go through this because you gave me a brief four second report. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't enough for me. And <laughs> and I think the executive director was a little taken aback by the request and felt threatened maybe. I don't know. They didn't like that I was requesting like, I want more information. Um, yeah. But after I sat down with the the financial person and said, hey, I just, you know, I want to understand it better. They loved that I did that. And they actually added it to a board onboarding because they felt like, oh, now we understand what you're trying to get at and what questions you had. And you're right. This little four minute summary is not yeah. not enough for you to be able to vote on. So I think it took me going to someone and saying, hey, I really just have questions and being very kind and open and transparent about it. But I think a lot of board members are afraid to raise their hand and say, I don't understand what you're talking about yet. Yeah. And you just touched on something else that I was, you know, one of the questions that we want to ask for each one of these is why is it confusing, but then also give some tips to help maybe align a board with the organization. And, and you just talked about new board member onboarding. And this is a novel idea for a lot of boards, like for a lot of organizations. And I, I could, you know, there's a few that I can think of recently where this is kind of a novel idea. Like we, it's not enough to vote the board person in. Now we need to like onboard them like a new employee, maybe too. Like what, what are the expectations? What are the, what are the roles? What's the, I, they probably know the time commitment. They probably have a gist of the things that are going on, but, uh, but how do we expose them maybe a little bit more intimately to the different departments within the organization, not just the one person that they get updates from? How do we, how do we, you know, expose them to more of the people? So any other tips, like I think new board onboarding um, or orientation is good. What other tips do we have maybe that we've seen that have worked to try to help align a board with the organization that they are doing their best to support? I think one of the things that you have to recognize is there are different types of boards. Boards exist for different reasons. And I think many organizations don't think about what are they looking for from their board. Some boards are completely fiduciary. So it's just they're, they're making sure the financials are good and they're making decisions based on protecting the assets of the organization that they oversee. Some boards are fundraising boards and they're designed to mainly give influence and money and bring that in and use the connections of the people on the board. Some boards are very operational and they need people to dive into the operations and actually run things and make decisions. I've been on boards where they're actually do the thing that the organization does. Like the board members are executing, play other roles inside the organization, execute what the board does. One of the biggest challenges that we see is like you have a board that tends to act operational, but you really need them to be fundraising or they act fiduciary when you need them to be operational. If, if you don't tell people where to go or what the board's role is, they will pick up whatever role they think they want to do and they will answer whatever questions you bring to them. So what do you think we yeah. should do here? Well, I don't know. I haven't been around this for very long, but here's what I think we should do. And they'll tell you. And then the board has a position of power over groups. And so we've seen it a lot of times without that definition, without an executive director, CEO, whoever that, that connection point is to the board telling them, this is what I need from you then the board will tell the other person what they need. And now you're kind of driven by the board itself, which is often not a good thing because boards are groups of people that rotate strongly in and out. It's just not a very good, most organizations are not designed mm -hmm. to be led by a board. 
Yeah, you know, we, we deal with this too. We talk about this word of misalignment and sometimes we're using misalignment or most of the time we're using misalignment between like employee and manager or like manager and owner, you know, some there's there's some sort of a misalignment within the within the interiors there of the organization. This can also happen between administration and board or management group and board too. There's a misalignment. You know, Don, even when you're talking about sometimes they'll just pick up the things without direction and start doing the things that they think that they need to be doing, maybe from a good place. But what they're doing, especially if it's not the expectation, is they are creating this misalignment. Now there's frustration, and now it's almost two groups. You have this board as a governing body whenever that's not really the the design of, of, of you know how they want to be utilized or how they thought they were going to be utilized too. And they don't like it either whenever they find that misalignment uh, piece too. I think I, I may have told this story before, but I used to be on a church board. In one of my very first board meetings, we had the head of our worship committee brought to us whether or not to the board said, well, we're, we used to do potluck suppers on Wednesday nights, but now we want to do catered meals and brought it to the board for discussion. And so you're on the board. It was my first board meeting. And we had, a, you know, what do boards do? We discussed it. We talked about it for like two hours about like, well, well, you know, well, some people like to make the soups and the crock pots don't plug in all the way. And some of them, sometimes we have power strips and we blow that. Is there a way we could fix that? Is it more expensive to bring in the other with the catered food? Are they going to be able to handle the amounts? Are they going to be as reliable? Is it really good food? I mean, we talked about every way, shape and form. And it was the same conversation the staff had already talked about and already they were coming to us with a recommendation, but we took it and thought we were going to have to make the decision from scratch. And so we talked about it for two hours and then we did what boards do. And I know a lot of you already know where this is going is we tabled it. We yeah. tabled it because that's too big of a decision to just make on a board level. Okay, I bet you didn't, I bet you didn't hire caterers. <laughs> we didn't hire caterers. No, it was not off the bat. So we said, we're going to table this. And so then we also, what boards often do is they ask the staff for more information. So staff go collect information on this and this and this and get us three bids and do this, this, and this. And so the staff suddenly has more work to do than they had before. They already came in with an idea of what they were going to want it to do. And now they have to wait another month to take action on this thing, go get extra homework, bring it back to the board so the board can discuss it longer. We talked about it for another 45 minutes. And then we ended up voting on exactly what the staff member asked us to do in the first place. Yeah. So I can remember at the end of that meeting, I stood up and I said, that's going to be the last soup discussion we have. Like, I don't want to, that's not why I joined this board. Like we have a lot of bigger decisions to make. We need to decide who we are and what kinds of decisions we make. And we need to trust our staff to make the right decisions. Trust with your staff. Yeah, that's that's such a critical thing too. I've been a part of, and we'll move on, but I've been a part of those board meetings as well, where literally this conversation took place. They were going to vote on something. One of the board members asked, "Where is the executive director? I want to hear from the executive director that the you know of that department. I want to hear from that department what is their recommendation before I vote." They were not at the meeting, so nobody knew when they and then they went ahead and voted anyway. And they voted the wrong way against the executive director. You know, so some people could say, well, you should have been at the meeting. Well, we have people in place. We have people in place that you have trusted to run that department or make those decisions or manage that project, trust their opinion and value that opinion, or, or this is going to sound callous or get somebody new. If you don't trust their opinion, then let them go and get somebody else new to be able to run it. So anyway, boards made the list here. I'm going to go to Diana. Diana, that's one down, five to go. What makes your list here uh, that, that we think are one of the most confusing roles to define? I'm going to add assistance. And it's generally because I think assistants start doing one or two things and then end up doing 90 different things that are not related. And sometimes they even start working for like one or two people and then they work for seven or eight within a few months. 
Yeah. And I just feel like their roles are so muddled. You know, I, it could be, I started working and answering phones and doing scheduling and making copies. And now I do payroll and project management for the entire organization. And I also pick up the dry cleaning. I get the coffee. Like it's just such a wide array of tasks. And I think that people get confused about what do I give this person and who do they actually work for and who's their boss. And I think those roles are, are so muddled and confusing all the time. I think, you know, as far as assistants are concerned and you all can, uh, can add to this too, but typically a good assistant is a doer of things. They love to be a doer of things. They love to manage maybe that process. They like, they like to create the checklist and make sure that all the things are taken care of. They see things maybe from a, from a higher level and they can orchestrate things like those good assistants, man, they can orchestrate things from afar and they are proactive and they're doing those things. And so you can see kind of how, and I don't want to, I don't want to go a different direction, but you can kind of see how things are added to them because they're, they're consistently a good doer of things. But then all of a sudden, now we're completely outside of the reason why we hired them to, to be an assistant in the first place, right? Because they're, they're just a good doer of things. And so we keep giving them things to do. Is that what you, is that what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think those assistants never stop and think like, oh, I shouldn't that's not in my lane. And I probably shouldn't do that. If someone gives a good assistant something, they'll do it forever. They'll just crank it out and do it forever. And there's something admirable about that and amazing about that. But it also, it puts a lot of pressure on one person and a lot of responsibility on one person. And I think when that one person, if they leave the organization or want a promotion, it makes that role really hard to refill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and another way I've seen this kind of go sideways too, is when the assistant is doing things for the person that they're asking, you know, that, that the person that's asking them to do the things, but then all of a sudden, one of the things that they get to do crosses the line into somebody else's area. And then that person is going, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Why are you doing these things? What are you doing over here? And they're oblivious to it. Like, I'm just doing the things like I've been asked to do the things. And, and, and we've seen that where it's caused confusion on a management team because one assistant is now not just doing things for maybe that manager that, that they support, but now it's crossing the line into these other areas. And we've set them up for failure because we've sent them on these tasks or these things to do. And it's, it's blurry. It's blurred the lines now to where, uh, yeah, that's the way I like them to do things. Well, the other person that they're now in their lane is going, I don't want them over here at all. Like I don't, I have this taken care of. And so you can see some sometimes how that is overwhelming, I think, to a team, but, but maybe more, even more so to the person, that assistant that we're tasking them to do some things. So any other ways that you've seen this assistant role kind of go sideways for any, anyone else? I think the hardest places are whenever it, it's not just the getting stuff done. It's the, what stuff are you having to do? What's the end goal in mind? And I've seen it set up before where the assistants just have to like, try to read the mind of the person they work for and do whatever it is that they want, whatever it is that you need me to do, just do it. That, that's really hard because I think that sometimes that makes assistance that, that puts people in a position where they're not opening up their brain and thinking proactively. It's just like, you tell me that you want me to go do this thing or tell me that you want me to go do this. And it's, it's, they're, they're not thinking bigger picture. You're not being able to really engage the person and everything that they can do for you. Then it's, it's go, go do this and then bring it back to me, go do this and then bring it back to me, go do this and bring it back to me. There's a lot of studies that show that whenever you manage somebody like that in any role, that they are going, you're going to, you're going to limit their effective intelligence at work because you're not getting them to be able to think big picture. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a problem in the assistant role. All right. So how do we do this role better then? What are some tips to be able to align assistance with the, uh, you know, support that they are doing their best to support? I think one thing to do is check in with them often and just say like, what's on your plate currently? Cause I think it's really easy 
for them to just keep picking up things on their plate. And I think managers don't worry about it because they're, they're picking it up and it's no problem. But I think if we asked each assistant and said, what's, what is actually on your plate? What's been given to you? Who are you working for right now? (laughs) You know, what tasks have you been assigned? I think they would hear some things and be like, holy cow, that was never the intent, but okay. And then maybe take some things off or realign and just make sure that those expectations are really clear. Yeah. I love that. I love that question. Like, okay, so I might not even be aware, but what are all the things that you're trying to balance and do right now? What does your next week or two look like? Uh, And then maybe another follow-up question to that is what are the things that you need support with, or what are the things that I need to take back from you? Kind of like you had just said there too. I think for an assistant, maybe assistants that are listening to the podcast right now, or maybe if they're in the role or have been in that role, or maybe you do a little bit of, uh, you know, assistant work right now, in addition to to your other job uh, that you have, you're probably going, yes, man, that conversation would be so helpful. Because again, Typically, that personality is I'm a good doer of things. I don't like to say no. I like to say yes. I like to support. I like to help. And they might not even know that they're overextended until stuff starts to fall through the cracks for for a good assistant. And that's extremely frustrating to them as well, because that stuff doesn't happen. Normally, I can manage all of these things. And and I vow, you know, they take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, good assistants are are, are great. Uh, Other tips to be able to align, Bethany, Don, anything you would add to that? I think sharing the end goal is really important there. That's, that's probably true for, you're going to see a theme here. That's probably true for any role. Yeah. But sharing the end goal of why are, why are we doing what we're doing uh, is really important. I think, I think we want to stay away from having somebody define their role also as I'm, a, I'm kind of a catch-all. I'm just the catch-all. That's extremely confusing, but I think for a lot of assistants, yeah, for, but I think for a lot of assistants, that's, that's maybe how they feel. So even, you know, if we can help define maybe some of these, what are some of the things that you're specific? Let's be detailed. Let's be specific. What are some of the specific things that you do and who do you support and who, whenever you do get a, uh, an evaluation, who's the one doing that? Like we want to clearly outline those things for them too. Bethany, what were you going to add? I was just going to add that. I think, you know, when we talk about this, it is very, that clarity is really important for that individual, right? But it's also going to be so valuable to make sure that's well communicated to the rest of the organization. Because I know like with this position, we see all the time, you know, people, people start assigning tasks to this person who are not, who's not their boss. And they start thinking like, okay, do I work for everybody now? Like, right. who am I an assistant to? And I know we've talked about this a little bit, but, but I think that it's true for all of the, all of the roles that we're going to talk about today is that it's just making sure that we have really good communication, not only for that individual in that role, but also outwardly to the rest of the organization. I love it. Love it. All right. That's uh, two down. Let's, let's talk about the third one here that made the list. And Bethany, I'm going to go to you for this one here. What, what would you add to this list? And we have boards, we have assistants. What would you add to the list? So one that I would add is partners. Anytime we see this, unfortunately, anytime we've seen partnerships within organizations, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. There's a lot of confusion on, on those roles. We've seen organizations where there's like I don't know, six partners in the organization to just two partners. And it doesn't matter how many partners, there's always almost always some confusion. And I think it's just the, you know, figuring out um, what level of responsibility each person has. How do you, how do you create equality in that? 
who whose boss is who, you know, for your employees within the organization, just lots of different, just lots of different confusion in that. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. And I, and I think I would add to that too and say, you know, from the partner level, there might not be as much confusion. Like the partners might be all clear about what the situation is. What is the business arrangement that we have here? Like they're probably all aware of that. The confusion a lot of times falls to the people that maybe those employees or those manager level below the partners going, you know, the, you know, and Don, I think it was the last episode maybe that you brought this up too. Like I have six bosses. Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have six bosses and they're equating partner maybe to an, an additional boss or an additional level of management or leadership or ownership or, you know, they're confused on that. Like, so what is clear at that partnership level is probably not as confusing to to the employee level there, too. So I don't know if you'd agree with that or add to that. But what do you think? Uh, well, what I was going to add to that was mainly just that I, I think you're right in terms of I think people go into partnerships and they think, well, I, you know, I'm a 50% partner and I'm a 50% partner. Or I'm a, you know, 20% partner and, I, you know, and so they have that figured out and they're like, so easy. Yeah, we've got that figured out. But then when you oh, yeah. get into like the nitty gritty of like, okay, but what does that actually mean for the business and how we're running the business? Things start to get a little bit complicated. And Don, you could speak more into this too. Yeah, and 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 I'll, I will throw it to Don, but you just brought up something that made me think of something there, and I'm going to ask Diana. But but I know that people have come to us saying, "Yeah, I'm thinking about adding so and so as a partner," or they'll come to us and say, "Yeah, I think I want to buy some, I want to buy some ownership here. I want to become a partner, you know, at like twenty percent or ten percent or something like that." And what is the response there? What does that conversation look like? And maybe what are some things that we need to watch out for? Yeah, I have had people come to me and say oh, I really want 10% ownership. And I immediately asked them like, what does that mean? What are you owning 10% of? Does that mean you can make 10% of the decisions? <laughs> right. Does that mean you get 10% of the debt? Does that mean if you say no to something and they do it, then you only have 10% ownership of it? Like, what does that mean? And so I genuinely discourage people from, from doing that because I just think it doesn't make enough sense to make that decision based on a percentage. It's just an odd, it's an odd structure to me. And I know that it's been going on for years and years, but I don't know that anyone's ever stopped to question it and be like, Hmm, what yeah, does yeah. that mean? Uh, you nailed it. That's exactly what I was hoping you were, were going to say there. Cause I, I know we've talked about that internally. Like what does that, what does that mean? And, and we've talked to people who have entered into those relationships and then later maybe didn't want to enter into that relationship. That's a whole other conversation, maybe a whole different podcast. But this is another reason why that whole idea of partner is kind of a confusing role within the company. Don, lots of conversation there. What would you add to this? Yeah, I mean, I think you've all really laid this out really well. You know, partners in a firm implies ownership, but any partnership in terms of, it almost applies like an equalness between and roles just aren't equal. Like that's just not how that works you don't split a role like, okay, well you do this half and I'll do this half. It's not that simple. It's really going to be, where do you contribute to each side? And then one partner almost always contributes more than the other one. If there's two partners, that's just, that's just inherent. My parents used to say that, you know, in their marriages, they were, their, their theme was 60, 40. Somebody's always given 60% and the other person's given 40%. It's always true like that in any kind of a partnership. So again, I think the part, when you say partner, it's one of those words that feels like it adds a lot of clarity to a role and finality, and it really takes it away. There's not, it doesn't mean anything. A partner could do anything or not do anything. 
All right, great. So let's follow the same format that we've been following for the first two, now going into the third here. Uh, what are some tips that we would have to be able to align this role uh, a little more clearly to the, uh, to the organization? I think it's going to be a lot of the same thing we talked in the other one is defining what those roles are for a partner. So if you, like Diana said, if you own 10% of the company, what does that mean? Do you make 10% of the decisions? Do you have 10% of the vote? A lot of partnerships, by the way, in terms of ownership, just a little detail, they don't even talk about how they're going to pull money out of the company. Like, the, like yeah. a lot of partners don't talk about that. Like you have to set all of those things up front, define what that partnership means. If it's not partnership in terms of meaning like you own part of the company, it is defining, well, as partners, yes, we're both partners working together on this, but what's your role versus what's my role? And design that carefully, just like you would for any other role. Partner doesn't give you any insight into the role. Make sure you're very clear about what the expectations are, how you're going to measure success, and also who's going to judge the success of what it is that you're doing. All right. That's great. And it sounds like we've covered that one pretty well, pretty well there. The mic drop from Don. That's great. Don, I'm going to turn it right back around to you. We're halfway through now. What is that next role maybe that you thought, okay, this is a little confusing. What is that next role that you would add to the list? So this is going to be a cousin of the last one, but I'm going to say the owner. Whenever we see somebody who says, I'm the owner inside of an organization, that tells you almost nothing. That tells you that they own the company. That means that they have, they, they probably have a piece of paper somewhere that says that they own the company. That probably means they have financial control of the company. But in terms of what they actually do inside the organization, that tells us very, 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 very little. And there's lots of organizations that we work in who they'll say, oh, that's the owner, but they don't know what the owner does. They don't have a clue of what the owner does. We've seen owners who are dive deep into the, they are the ones that manage all the books and the bookkeeping and the financials. We've seen owners who are the managers who are running the show. We see owners who are very laissez-faire and take a step back and just let everything else run, but they don't really do anything. Heck, there's a, there's a company I have a lot of respect for with the owner of the company. After he, he kind of gave it, his son took over as president, was really doing like a lot of the janitorial work around the building because he owned the building and he would just come in and help you know refill the supply closet and do that kind of work in fact i was there with and there was a new employee that was working there and uh, they ran into him and said hey could you get some more cleaner for the closet and, they, and he was like yeah sure no problem i'll get that anything else you need he's like nope and they got the new guy looked at me and says well i really like that guy he is so nice i said you know that's the owner of the company right and he had no idea it was kind of funny so i mean that owner role could be anything but owner is, again, it's a, it's a powerful word inside of an organization. So then people think that the owner can make decisions anywhere that they want to, which they technically can, but often shouldn't. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes into play. So let's, let's kind of uh, draw a full circle here. So owner might depend on the size of an organization or might depend on the size of the company too. Like Don is the owner of people centric, but we get to see Don all the time. Some people are working for organizations to where they don't ever cross paths with the owner. And it's a little bit, just, just a little bit further removed. Like what is their role other than to sit on that pedestal all the time and just, you know, make decisions and collect, collect money, right? From, if I work at a large organization, you never get to see this person. And so it's, they're almost this mythical figure, but Diana, what were you going to add to that? You look like you wanted to say something. I was just going to say like, I bet very few Amazon employees have ever met Jeff Bezos. You know what I mean? Like he owns it, but like nobody knows that guy. Yeah. yeah. And what does he do? I mean, he goes on interviews and things like that. And have you seen his yacht? In Side note, Don, you probably have one of those. But, um, who am I talking to, right? But Jeff Bezos's yacht is huge. It is huge. Google it. Anyway. Yeah, Don, when are you going to fly into space on a spaceship? <laughs> yeah. He's been wor he's working too much. He can't, he can't make that happen. Yeah. If you'd like to donate into our spaceship, <laughs> please send but, uh, money. I really do want a private 
private plane. So let's get that yeah. first. Yeah. That would be awesome. But I'm not, well, like the Jeff Bezos example though, it's, which is really kind of, I like that we're, we're making fun of it and having fun with it. But I, I know like if Jeff Bezos was walking through an Amazon warehouse and made an offhand comment about something, I guarantee you there would be a scramble of energy around whatever that comment was. Yeah. And I know that's true because Jeff Bezos is Amazon, like billions and billions of dollars. And I've seen that happen even with our tight little team. One of my favorite stories, Diana, you know the story I'm about to tell I about do. the TV. I do. You, you want to tell it from your perspective because it might be good. Maybe you should tell it from your perspective and then I'll tell it from mine. <laughs> that's a good idea. That's a good okay. idea. Okay. So we were getting ready to do a trade show and it was one of the first trade shows that we had ever done. And Diana was on a team that was sitting down and they were going over like, how are we going to attack this trade show? What are we going to do with this trade show? And I had, at the time we had our old office. I used to have my own little corner office thing. And I had a little 42 inch television set and they're no big deal. 42 inch flat panel. <laughs> Jeff Bezos has got his yacht. I've got my 42 inch flat panel yeah. television set. No big deal. LCD. It's nice. <laughs> and I, I just thought, and I thought, boy, that could be a cool tool for, to use for this. Like they could, that would be neat to use that. So I just stuck my head back out and I told the group and I said, hey, by the way, if anybody wants to use the TV in my office, you can use the TV in my office. And that's, that's all I said. And I thought that was a really, I thought I was being a really good supportive person. <laughs> Diana's going to take over from here. So we were in this office where Don did have his own private office and he did have a TV, but it was a scary office guys. It was decrepit. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. The early days of people centric. We were very lean. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, I don't remember the exact words. I'm going to be honest, but what I feel like he said was you guys should use this TV. That would be really cool. And so we immediately were like, ah, man, we got to scramble because we didn't order electricity to go to this booth. So now we got to add that extra cost. We got to find these like extension cords. We got to figure out where we're going to put on the TV. So we started building a PowerPoint and stuff. Like it was, it felt like a scramble. And I honestly don't remember what your exact words were, but I do know that we all felt like, man, now we have to use this freaking TV that we weren't thinking about that we didn't plan for. And now it's a pain more than anything. And I was very surprised a few days later, the team was meeting again and you guys were so frustrated. I could just walk through and I could feel the anger. Like you were just, you were all wow. so mad at me and I could just feel it. And I'm just like, what's going on? I'm like, how's it going on the planning for that? And you guys are just like, well, now we have to create all this crap. And you guys threw, threw a curveball at me and we did all the, I'm doing my Diana impression. I know I'm good. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you're right. I don't remember the exact words that I used. I remember what I was thinking but it's amazing sometimes just when you're the owner of the company and you drop something like that. If I was a coworker in the company, you would you could have fired back and said, what? Like, no, 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 we're not going to use the TV. Like, we don't need to do yeah. that. But, the, but just because it's the owner, no matter what relationship you have, the owner carries a little bit extra weight behind that. And it, it can create pretty quick yeah. miscommunication. Yeah, that was the other thing. We did feel like we had planned a good a good booth and that we were excited about the things that we were doing. And then we kind of felt like you didn't like the stuff we came up with. And so we were disappointed with that. We were like, oh man, we thought we had come up with some cool stuff. Um, I made like bookmarks or something. I don't remember. I remember making something. But yeah. regardless, we were really excited about it. And then we felt a little diminished and we felt kind of bummed. And then we felt like we had to scramble and do this thing. But in no way did you actually flex that muscle of authority. It was just sort of there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I just radiate authority. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> well, Bethany, I, what were you going to say? I think it's interesting, though, just the conversation of an owner can have a lot of different levels of authority and roles within itself. And so it's interesting to see how that plays out within different organizations and how it's set up of ultimately, yes, the owner is like, is the authority, but there's so many layers to that, depending on the organization that you're in. You know, I think about other organizations. Well, one, obviously, like, then there's that, that level of the board. If we go back to that of like, okay, but then ultimately it's the board, right? So like, can the board always override, override the owner? Or I've been in organizations where it's like, we had a, you know, we had the CEO and he was one of the owners and he was really more of the face and like the brand and like, you know, that kind of thing. But like, then there was the president and that person really had, really was kind of our authority. So it was like, we know that this is like the owner and the CEO, but like also <laughs> this is the, really the person who's like kind of controlling and pulling the strings and stuff like that. And so it's just interesting thinking about all the different ways an owner can play yeah. a, you know, part in the company. Yeah, and it might, it might weigh heavily on what type of company it is, how big the organization is, but do we have any tips? And Don, maybe you can take this one. I don't know, uh, whoever else has ideas there, but what tips would we say to tie I want it to have, maybe help align the owner with uh, the company? Again, like, what do we need to do to reel you in is what I'm asking. I think really that's the real- You hire a Diana. <laughs> there you go. Hire a Diana. You all want a Diana. That's what your that's what your role is. That's 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 a big punchline. Yeah, I mean, I think where we talked a lot about, I mean, role clarity. Obviously, we're gonna you're, we're gonna be a broken record a little bit. I mean, what does the owner's role really look like? But I think then in this this case for the owner, it's really important that you clarify what role do you want to play in different right. processes. So, like right now, we're hiring. Like we're in the hiring process. And we've talked a lot about like, what does our hiring process look like? And Diana and I had a conversation early on in the process where I said, here's the role that I would like to play in the process. And here's the role I would love for you to play in the process. How do you feel about that? What's that look like? So Diana knows where her decision-making power is and what levels, and we were really clear about that. And then we talked about whether, is, is that the right level? Is that the wrong level? Does that help? You know, just be really, really clear about it. I think we just have to really be careful about things that you say as an owner too, of just the, the offhand comments that you make. I was thinking of a CEO of a company that we know that just made a comment about this cookie that they liked at a dinner and they've had that cookie at every dinner. And I don't know if the CEO recognizes that now they deliberately bring that cookie into every meeting that the CEO is in. And the CEO, I don't, I'm pretty sure doesn't recognize that it's because like two years ago, they said they really liked that cookie. So you just have to be aware of that, those kinds of things, just be on your toes and make sure, cause they go through great lengths now to find that cookie and make those cookies for that, that those meetings. Yeah. I, really I would add, Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna add from the employee side, recognize that your owner is still just human. And so Don and I have worked together long enough that I can say, hey, I know you recommended that we use that TV. Was that like a recommendation? Was that just a tool we could use or do you really want us to use that? And then I can get clarity from him about what he actually wants. Yeah, that's great. Good. And I really like peanut butter cookies. I don't know how much weight that carries, but um, whatever you need to do. Literally no weight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, whatever. Moving on. All right. So mint, four mint chocolate chip, mint chocolate chip. Oh, that carries weight right yeah, there. Mint chocolate chip. It. Okay. 
Okay, so let's let's get into this next one here. Diana, it's your turn again. Um, what would you add to the list here for number five? I want to add licensed professionals. And I know that sounds really broad, but I'm talking about doctors, architects, even nurses, engineers, anyone that has like that registered. I went to school for this thing and now I have a professional status because I do this thing. Um, I'm going to add them to the list for this reason. When they go to school to learn that thing, they learned that thing really well. They did not learn how to manage or lead or run a business or any of the things that people expect them to know just because they have this rubber stamp of licensure. So I think it gets really confusing for employees who are like, oh, but they're the doctor. They're supposed to make these decisions. They're supposed to know how to do check-ins and, and know all the financials. No, they weren't taught that they were taught how to sew up a wound. Like that's that's And so I think it just makes things more confusing because they have that sort of inherent authority without really knowing how to lead or manage or run a company. Yeah. And, and they are indirectly, sometimes directly, but indirectly put into positions where they they have to be that plus, right? They have to be that plus a manager. Sure. And I know you were, that's why you were saying they're not taught to do that, but I don't think it's even necessarily on their radar that I'm, I'm going to need to do that. And that's why, you know, sometimes it's a breath of fresh air, quite honestly, when we hear from a, from a, a, a doctor or provider or whatever that says, you know what, I know I'm not technically their boss, but I'm kind of their manager. Can you help me be a better manager? I want to, I want to proactively try to help them be a better manager. This is also why it's a confusing role and probably made the list too, because those people that support that certified professional, right, they might not even necessarily report to that certified professional, but they're working with them on a day in, day out. So that 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 certified professional is confused, but the people that they're working with are also confused. Like where do, where do you start and where do I start? And then where's the line between us uh, kind of a thing too, right? Yeah, I used to work in an architecture firm. And while I didn't have architects as my direct boss, my direct boss was the operations manager. I still felt like each one of those architects was my boss in a different right. way because I was working underneath each of them and getting things for them and, and helping them move their projects forward. And each of them liked it a little bit differently. And oh, so yeah. I felt like I had different rules for different people and I had different direct, I was directly reporting to each of them in different ways. And some of them I very much enjoyed working for and some of them I did not. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's that, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, the dotted line of authority there, but, but, you know, Don talked about that last podcast there. When we we're talking about job descriptions, role clarity, the, the dotted line responsibilities of the two. So if I'm an employee and if I'm a Diana working for the architecture firm, I had the person that I was responsible to report to, but then I had all these other people that I was working for quote unquote also, because they were the ones that, 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 you know, had the tasks for me to complete. And that gets extremely confusing. And I don't want to put words in Diana's mouth, but I could see how that could also become really overwhelming to somebody in that position too. Like, who am I listening to? Who's ultimately judging my performance? Like, am I doing well or am I not doing well? And, and, and I don't know, Diana, you can take it from there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head because I think that there was a standard process and then there was ways that each one of them wanted me to do it. And so to remember that every time got hard and yeah, it was confusing about who, who's judging me here. Do these architects go to my boss and then say like, 
she's doing a great job or not. I, I don't think that ever happened. I think my boss watched me and, and said, yes or no, she's doing a good job. I don't, but it still felt like a lot of responsibility from a lot of different people all at once. Yeah. So let, let me ask this question. And again, you know, like Don said for the last few, well, it really goes back to the understanding the role uh, clarity there, but this is maybe a little bit of a unique stance here too, because sometimes that person might be a certified certified professional that's doing a task for that company. They might not even work, you know, be employed by the company, but they are there working for the company. So whose responsibility is it to try to even help align that? And how do you even take the first step to do that if that's the situation? Yeah, I think that's a great, a great question. And I think it is going back to clarity and expectation. I think you have to set that expectation early. Like, yes, you're a project manager. Yes, you're the person leading this, but this is this person's boss. And if they're not doing it right for you, you go tell that boss and that boss will tell them. I think there just has to be a way for that person to get feedback and direct lines of communication in in all directions. Yeah. I like that a lot. I also think there's good to distinguish between the technical role that the person plays and the managerial role within the team. Those are two very, very different things. And I think companies confuse that a lot. There's definitely a movement right now of hiring people who have high technical capabilities, accountants, engineers, doctors, to be able to take over management positions and they take over lead positions, even though they've never really done the job with people that they're leading. Engineers are leading operators, technicians, contractors who are used to doing the job out in the field, but engineers don't do that job. Uh, So it's distinguishing between those two different roles of leading a team, managing a crew up front, but also the technical aspect of it. If you're a doctor, you should have total authority over what's happening with that patient in that moment. Of course, of course we're saying that is true. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the best person to evaluate whether that nurse, you know, that it works with you uh, or help them to develop themselves, uh, you know, or help the team work better together. So it's distinguishing between the technical lines of responsibility and the managerial lines of responsibility. Love it. Love it. All right. Last one. Uh, Bethany, what do you have for us? The last one that we talked about was unofficial managers. So I Feel like we see this all the time it's you know the people who are maybe in like leads or are charge nurses or they're like a supervisor role but they're not really the boss they're just kind of like there and they're given some level of authority but not really so so then that kind of creates confusion for those employees too because it's I don't really know who's my boss like it's kind of this person and then it's also kind of their boss right ultimately I report to this person above them, but this person also is there during my shift. So they tell me what to do, but they're not measuring my performance ultimately. And then that's confusing for that person in in that role, that kind of lead role, because they don't know how much authority they have, you know, to give to those employees that they're overseeing. If they're having an issue with somebody, can, can you fire somebody or can you not? I don't really know. Nobody told me. So there's lots of, there's just lots of confusion in that role. And we see that all the time. And I think there's a, you know, a subtle difference here too. And I don't want to even say subtle difference where, where we see this uh, pop up is, is the job, job titles. People get confused with the job titles. So it'll be like manager, supervisor, lead. And, and if you are in front of a group of people, like we are quite a bit and we go, Hey, wait a second, can somebody please help me identify the difference between a lead and a supervisor? And when the employees look at each other, like, 
I mean, this is how I understand it, but I don't, you might, I think they work differently over there. Like we're automatically off on the wrong foot right now too. And something else I would add to that too, you know, Bethany, that you had talked about is this expectation of authority, but I've seen it too, where people are in those roles and they have an expectation, but they have no authority. Like here's the expectation of the things that I need you to do, but they have no authority to make anybody do anything. And if that, if that is the case, I've seen it to where that person all of a sudden becomes this, the bad guy, because all you are is like an extension of the boss. or you're just an extension of the, you, all, we're going to do something. You're going to go tattletale. You're going to, you know, that's how they view those people. Sometimes that there's this expectation that they're going to help manage, manage things for you while you're gone as the manager, but they have no authority to make anybody do anything or really hold anybody accountable to that too. So I, that would be my, what I would add to that is where that gets sideways or kind of confusing too. Don? I was thinking about early in my career as a supervisor in a facility that I didn't know a lot about. Uh, which happens a lot there. You're an engineer. We're going to put you in this, this position here. And I'm kind of mixing up a little bit of the technical expert, but also the lead position was I had an operator who was really good and knew a lot of the different jobs. And so I kind of made him an unofficial lead, like an unofficial manager. And I had him training new operators and doing all these things. What I discovered through that is one is that he helped me out a lot. And two, I also discovered he quickly became very toxic. He became very, very negative because what I was doing was I was putting him in a position that was very difficult where he would have to train and he needed some authority over people, but he didn't have any of the authority. He didn't have any of the pay. Um, it was a very difficult position to, to put them in. And he, and he was the best, one of the best operators that I had. And I look back and it was a real mistake to put him in that position. I also think about teams where like sometimes we talked last time in our organizational structure where you'll have, you try to minimize costs you know, em employers will try to minimize how many supervisors they have. So you'll see departments where you have supervisors that will oversee 40 or 50 or 60 or 100 different employees. And they'll say, look, but it's working in that department. Every single time we've landed in those departments and you work within those departments, I promise you they have unofficial leads. They've created a, a structure unofficially inside of the structure and they've taken their best people and they put them in these unofficial lead positions. And almost every single time, if you work with those unofficial lead positions, they're, they're almost always becoming toxic. They're almost always becoming negative because they were the best employees and now they're being penalized for it because they're giving extra, extra, extra responsibilities and no recognition or authority to be able to make decisions. I love how you said they're now being penalized by that because that was not your intent. I'm going to give people grace right now. That was not your intent to make those best employees uh, all of a sudden, you know, they might even be borderline disengaged or toxic people by now, whenever they started out as best. And the reason why is, is probably because we didn't do it right, you know, correctly from the beginning of saying, hey, we're going to add this additional layer. Um, this is so and so they're going to be in this role. This is what they're going to do. Here's the reasons why you would need them. Uh, if you need these things, I'm still here. But other than that, they're in charge, like they are the ones who is managing that process. And if they're an unofficial, but you have just kind of earmarked that person and slid them over and, and you might even be thinking that you're doing yourself a favor because of succession planning, like ultimately they will one day be there. But if there's not really a formalized kind of support or training process that goes along with that, and it's not clear to everybody else of what's happening, then you're probably doing more harm than good, and setting that person up for failure, uh, than really giving them the best opportunity to be able to succeed uh, in that too. So 
All right, so we've covered six different roles that are pretty confusing that we see in different organizations. Any other thoughts or tips or things that you would add for any of these six, just high level as we are uh, ready to leave today? I think it comes down to clarity and communication, which is, I feel like a broken record, like radical clarity and total transparency and communication. I say that 75 times a day and I can't say it enough. And I feel like that's, again, a lot of what this comes down to. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you are listening for the secret sauce, how do I make all of these things work really well? I think radical transparency and communication is probably a great place to start. If you are in the midst of this where you're going, yeah, that is kind of confusing. Yeah, I do have this and it is kind of confusing. Uh, then I would do your best, you know, to, if you've identified that to, to offer transparency for that. And maybe you're the person who is in that role. You're in the confusing role. Ask for it. Maybe ask for that. Can we have a meeting? Because I'm confused. I'm in this role. Where do I start? Where do I stop? How do we work together? What are your expectations of me? Like maybe, maybe it's time that you've had that conversation if you feel like you are the one stuck in that role too. Don, what were we gonna add? Yeah, and if you're an if you're an owner or manager inside of a company, you might be thinking, why did we do this episode? You know, it's very specific. You know, first of all, I think those six roles, I'll bet your organization has at least one, if not more, of those roles inside. But second of all, the big takeaway I hope that you have is if you take a step back, this role clarity thing is a lot more complex than sometimes we give it credit for. Uh, sometimes we'll see that business owners or managers say, no, I've got, I, we went through the exercise of creating the job descriptions. It's in the filing cabinet. It's over there. And then we talk to people or you get in the middle of things and you recognize that people do not have clear roles. They do not know who's judging their performance. And this is absolutely a critical driver of having a high performance culture is knowing exactly what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, what success looks like and who's judging that success and organizations to struggle for it. You can define it and you can think that you've got roles, but we just came up with six pretty darn good examples of where those roles get murky on a common basis. And that's why we wanted to show you the complexity of this. Yeah, so hopefully we've uh, you know developed some takeaways for you to be able to tangibly do something tomorrow if this is where you are stuck in today. These six roles, again, we could have gone to 10 or 12 or 15 or where, you know, or whatever, you know, maybe there's some, some confusion around that, but hopefully our goal at the end of the day is just to be able to provide some insight, uh, some tangible takeaways for you to be able to uh, be a better leader, uh, be a better team leader, uh, develop a better company, uh, whatever that midst is that you're working in now. Diana? I wanted to add that if you guys have been listening to us for a while and you have questions for us about anything, we would love to hear from you. So email us. It's more than work podcast at people's CCG, or you can reach out through our website, peoplecentric.com. But we do want to hear from you guys. If you have questions about this or want us to talk about a topic that's been bothering you or struggling with whatever it is, let us know. We want to hear about it. Awesome. All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time. And in the meantime, lead well.